You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. TechFan Podcast number 374. I'm Tim Robertson, joined by the star of last week's solo episode, David Cohen. Hello. Really enjoyed last week. Yeah, by the way, we're 347, not 374. Three, what did not, I say? Not, not that we're getting ahead of ourselves. What did I say? 374? Three, three, uh, 347. Do you have number dyslexia? Uh, I do have dyslexia occasionally, especially when I'm tired like I am today. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a problem. Definitely. It can be. Not 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 a problem that you have dyslexia when you're tired, but the fact that you are tired. I'm also extremely tired. A um, couple of things going on uh, in the tech world right now. One of them I don't really want to get into a whole lot, but a guy was uh, convicted and he's got to go to jail for bootlegging Microsoft Windows disks. Do you see that? I saw it, yeah. It's kind of weird because... It's not hard to go online onto the internet and find bootlegs of Microsoft Windows disks. And, well, he, and it wasn't even it was it was with Dell recovery disks, and he did yeah. it to try to help out repair shops so they didn't have to download it from Dell or Microsoft. But like an idiot, he had thousands of them printed up in China, and then he was selling them for like five bucks each. Well, you see, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it, it, the weird thing is you can post a copy of something up on the internet yep. and you might get a cease and desist letter, you might get a complaint, you might even get blocked by certain services or ISPs, yeah, but um, if you're selling physical copies, then that puts a whole new dimension on it, unfortunately. Guy was not very smart to do this. Well, no, I mean, I mean you know, it... it I presume it comes under the... I don't know the, the legal arguments, but I would imagine it comes under the whole thing of criminal enterprise, which means that, you know, you're kind of... You're, you're not just falling into it. You're really, really planning to do it if you're kind of sending the things overseas to get them printed in China. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of... Yeah, making, your, making crime your business is a risky proposition. Yeah, but he really wasn't doing that. I mean, he wasn't intentionally breaking the law. He wasn't doing it to make a profit. He was doing it to be more helpful. He just didn't yeah, want to he, lose money. He, but he, what, he was trying to cover his costs, though, wasn't he? Yeah, five bucks a disc. Um, yeah. The thing is, if you dig deeper into this guy, he's actually a pretty good guy. He's into re, uh, electronic recycling, which we need a lot more of in this world, to be honest. Um, and he has a company that's been doing this and fairly successfully. And yeah. getting a lot of this e-waste out of the dumps and back into productive stuff and ran afoul. Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at the charge, it's it's conspiracy to traffic and counterfeit goods. So I, I think the problem is is that is that because the way he went about doing this is what caused him the the problem from a legal point of view. And there's a healthy there's a healthy element in the in particularly in the U.S. judicial system of, of picking on a guy, making him an example, throwing the book at him in a way of trying to deter other people from doing the same thing. Was this you know, the kind of guy you want to... He may, have, he may have fallen afoul of that. Yeah. 
So he's got to spend time in jail for this. Jail. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, you know what? In the in the US, just like here in, in here in the UK, um, the authorities love to put people in prison. Yeah, but the weird thing is, this guy isn't black. Yeah, but even so, I mean, we we had, we have far fewer black people in prison than, than you guys do, yeah. but we have a lot of people in prison. Oh, in the United uh, States, it seems like it's a, an American pastime to put black people in jail. Yeah, it's I ridiculous. Don't know. I, I'm well well aware of that, but um, as I say, when when the feds and the judicial system decide they're going to throw the book at somebody, then yep. they will do. And um, big jail sentences and jail time comes along with, with crimes which, yeah, you and I can look at and say, well, yeah, you shouldn't have done it, but it's it's not... Um, a jailable it's, like, it's not a violent crime. It's right. not a, you know, a um, really, not even really causing a loss of revenue. It, it's ridiculous. Microsoft should be ashamed that they perpetuated this guy going to jail for this. It's just... But they're a giant company. They don't care. Well, Microsoft's got serious PR problems yep. on, on many fronts. So, you know, I'm not... To, to the fact that they wouldn't recognize that, that this sort of PR packs might go negatively against them, is it doesn't surprise me. So one of the things that you posted up here is how merchants use Facebook to flood Amazon with fake reviews. What's this about? Yeah, I wanted to bring this up because um, this is kind of a corollary to to something we talked about a few weeks ago, which was the amount of fake stuff of, on Amazon, um, and how you know we were we were irritated that Amazon does so little about it. So this is this kind of is is a side thing. Now Amazon ha- has apparently tried relatively hard to stop people directly posting fake reviews to their website. Um, Obviously, Amazon reviews are a pretty important part of how many people who are buying stuff online will actually go and research something now. They'll go and look at the Amazon reviews. In fact, you know, um, review sites like the Wirecutter, who who do their own reviewing stuff, will also mention um, star racings and and the, the you know the impressions they've had from Amazon reviews when they're reviewing products too. So it's it, it's pretty important, but that means that you, you kind of want to be able to rely on it. Um, Amazon has had a program of first of all they've banned paid reviews so you can't um even if you disclose that the fact that you were given a product or you were paid you were paid to review a product you're not meant to put those on amazon site anymore but what's been happening is that um all that's happened all that's happened by them in, uh, introducing those rules is it's driven the practice underground and now it's happening in facebook forums where people will you know mention a product or something like that and immediately they'll get besieged by people offering them money to put a review onto Amazon for yeah. a product um, and then asking them, say they'll pay pay them via PayPal directly, they'll then do a fake review of other products as well um, and you end up with the problem that you still can't trust what's said in an Amazon review Now I've got yeah. first-hand knowledge of this because when we post uh, links on Facebook and not so much on Twitter. I haven't seen this happen on Twitter. But on Facebook, I'll post links to our articles, and many of them are reviews. I will get contacted often, more than once a month, more than close to once a week at this point, from companies, most of which originated from China, I can tell, by the uh, yeah. the broken English. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I saw this post. Would you consider reviewing this product we send us your paypal 
please post it on Amazon as well, that kind of thing. And yeah, I've never responded to any of them. I've always deleted them because I just, yeah. I know what it is. So I go, ugh, just get rid of it. I don't even read them all anymore. The moment I see one come in, I'm like, yeah, I know what that is. Just delete it. Um, but that's, you know, we, I've been doing this for over 20 years, so it's not like I'm new to this game. But if you're a 22-year-old guy or woman who posts something about this cool product that you found and you get this email, hey, would you look at this product? We'll send you a free one. And if you write a review on Amazon, we'll also PayPal you a hundred dollars. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, what's happening in in many cases is that you kind of graduate from that to a point where they cut out the middleman. They don't bother sending you the product. They just say, "Just write a review saying you like X, and we'll PayPal you some money." Yeah. Um, and <laughs> you know, going back to what we were talking about with the first story uh, on today's show. You could, uh, I can imagine plenty of people who would think, well, that's pretty much a victimless crime. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm writing something, I'm putting it on the web for somebody, and they're paying me for it. Um, you know, what's the harm? And, and if you don't have a lot of money, or you have a need for a, a little bit of side income, uh, particularly if you're, if, if you're younger, or maybe you're a, you're a house husband or a housewife who, you know, he's trying to make ends meet. I can imagine it could, could be quite tempting to start doing that. Sure. And the problem is, even if 0.001% of all the people they email do it, that's enough to flood Amazon with fake reviews. Yes. And um, so where's the are, harm you are, in the fake it review, is, David? It is part of the I – don't, I don't want to be racist about it, but it certainly is more prevalent uh, in, in, with products that come from China. Well, they don't have the journalistic integrity in in reviewing products that we do here in the U.S. Well, also as well, I think you know because of the nature of the of the regime in China and 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 what they what they do in terms of giving products to the West, I just don't think they have the same respect for copyright that uh, copyright and um, well, no, they don't. In fact, it you know that, that we do. Yeah, they they don't yeah. see they don't see a problem with morally or otherwise of taking a product that was conceived and made in the United States sent over there for manufacturing the people that work in the factory see it and go well you know if we did this and this it would be even cooler so we'll just go ahead and do that and and call it the same product and sell it on Amazon they don't see where the problem is but uh, the problem with also with this review review issue is a lot of these products are, are original products the original chinese products they're things like bluetooth headphones uh, kitchen knives you know stuff stuff like that um the sort of thing that that china makes hundreds of millions of yep yeah and they sell them direct on they sell them direct on amazon um and the, the product might well be you know built down to a price or particularly of low quality uh and they mark it up a little bit and uh then they put fake reviews up there saying oh it's really really great so um that kind of suckers people into buying poorer quality products Yep. So where's the harm? People spending their hard-earned money on yeah. junk products. That's where yeah. the harm is. Now, the, the the issue I really have with this is, you know what? People are going to do what people are going to do. And, you know, much as that first guy we were talking about doing the, doing the, um, doing the Windows CDs, you know, people are going to, are going to do things that, that they think personally are okay or are acceptable for their particular uh, political views or lifestyle views or whatever. Yeah, I'm not coming down too hard on the people who write these reviews. 
um, you know, if you need money and somebody's offering you money to do something, if you need money as opposed to just like money, there's a lot of people who, who will, you know, they need money uh, and that's one way of getting it. I'm not coming down too much on that. What I really have a problem with, and this, this kind of summarizes everything that's been going on in the online world for certainly, well, for the last 10, 15 years, but definitely the last few years has come very much to the public for and is very much prevalent in um, what's going on with Facebook at the moment and everything as well, is that all of these online companies, and it goes back to the, also to the, the, the article I mentioned last week about the scooters in, in San Francisco being dumped on the pavement, yeah? All of these technology-enabling companies kind of take this technology hands-off approach, yeah? They don't employ real people to check things. No. Yeah, they just kind of use algorithms. And, um, you know, if the algorithms get it wrong or anything, they just let it slide. Well, it's okay. And they don't accept the social cost of doing that. Yeah, we all pay the social cost of that with fake products, with uh, fake reviews, with stuff being left around everywhere. Funnily enough, one of those bikes was, um, I was talking about last week, the uh, Manchester ones, has just been left across the road from my house. It's been there for three days, um, right in the pavement, you know, right in the way. And and again, you know, the, the, the company concerned doesn't care, probably doesn't even know. But the problem is they don't employ people to rectify these issues. Every time these things are challenged, whether it be in Parliament, whether it be in the media or everything like that, the first response they always say, is, we are looking at new net technology to try and solve this. Right. And at some point you want to say, no, the reason this never happened before is because we didn't have technology auto-filing everything onto, your, onto people's places. You know, you didn't have auto-filing of, of fake classifiers in the Washington Post because somebody physically had to do that. And if they felt the, the ad was slimy or illegitimate or whatever they wouldn't accept it but now we just have you know um i've i've used the amazon um website to sell stuff privately it is stupidly simple and there is no checking whatsoever right that's the yeah. problem yeah and and they they just go oh well we'll bring in some more algorithms to try and fix it and you just at some point you just want to say no you need to be better than that yeah if you want huh? to be taken serious and and not start devolving into a, a rummage sale you need to do something about this. Speaking well, not of not only that as well, you know, the, these companies, they have massive brand share and they have massive respect. You and I have talked many times about how much we love Amazon, but it doesn't take much for that to slide. Oh, look at the no beating tight. Facebook. Look at the beating Facebook took off the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Look at the beating uh, Tesla's been taking the last few months because they've had a rough year. Yeah, they've had a couple of accidents involving their autopilot software where people have been killed. They've had production problems. They've had, you know, this, that, and the other. All, all of a sudden, Tesla is not the golden shining brand it used to be. It does not take much for this to happen. And once it does start happening, your brand can swirl very quickly down the whirlpool of the uh, of the media toilet because once <laughs> once the media decides that you're a punching bag who the public doesn't like, then they will just pile on. And then it's uh, it's unrecoverable. And I've said this about Apple in the past and how popular yeah. the iPhone is. It's a razor-thin edge from being the product that people are lining up to buy on day of release to a joke. Now, yeah. Apple's and, done and a I, very I, I good think... job of avoiding the negative part of it, but it won't take much at all for another company. And I've said this before. People think, oh, you just yeah. did... Uh, no, it doesn't take much. One cool product comes out that's cooler than the iPhone, and the iPhone starts having a, a battery swelling issue or something happens, 
and all of a sudden fortunes change. I, I know, and, and let's face it, Apple are, taking a, are still taking a beating about these keyboards on their current Macs, on oh, their current laptops. Or the battery issue on the iPhone 6s. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and every time you have to respond with a, well, we'll do, we'll do a gesture to try and fix the problem, that's like a tacit admission that, you know what, we screwed this up. Yep. You know, um, we, we talked about um, the third-party warranty thing and breaching your warranty, and I mentioned that I took my... Um, macbook pro into apple a couple of weeks ago you remember they said they wouldn't fix it yeah yeah you know what i did i i saw a post from a uk company on ifixit yeah this company had basically i i was i was researching an issue ifixit and in the comments for one of the repair guides this guy who owns this company had had mentioned that he knew that the problem being talked about was particular to a particular time was an easy fix Yeah, sorry about that little audio weirdness there, folks. We just had a little bit of a glitch since GarageBand just said just full or just too slow or something like that. Yep. Then I spent five minutes trying to get Audio Hijack Pro to work, which works, except your your audio sounds like garbage coming in. Uh, I I think your setup is probably overcomplicated for Audio Hijack Pro. Yeah, that's what I think it is a problem, too. The problem is I, I, I know how to do it, but I need to set so your hot microphone isn't coming through. Um, micro B or uh, my uh, mobile pre USB. Yeah. So, anyways. Anyway, where were we? So you sent it so, out to the guy. He, he said, "Yeah, someone had fiddled with it before." Yeah, he did. But he said, "You know what? It's no problem. I can fix these Thunderbolt ports, and it'll cost you fifty pounds." Well. So <laughs> he's going to fix my Thunderbolt ports now. <laughs> For, 50 pounds. for a nominal fee, uh, I mean, fifty pounds on a on you know this is a originally was like a two thousand pound computer. So fifty, all right, it's an old, uh, slightly older now. Fifty pounds worth fi- worth doing to have my Thunderbolt points fixed. Apple would not do that for me. They wouldn't even consider how to do it for me. You know, one of these days, instead of doing a solo show and I can't make it, you should interview this guy. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, I probably will. Speaking I of interviewing re- somebody else, by the way, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, you know Eric Diaz, yeah, long term, long time listener, lives in Puerto Rico, and of course we all know what happened in Puerto Rico recently with the hurricanes. Yeah. Um, I invited him to come on Tech Fan and discuss it, and he's agreed. And I think it would be um, an eye-opening episode for some people, including us. Yeah, I'm so sure it will be. Forward to that here in the near future. We are talking about stupid things that Amazon is doing. Yeah. You want to hear a good one? Of course you do. Everybody wants to hear a good one. I get free products from Amazon for review. Mm -hmm. But they're clearly stated. This is an Amazon Vine review. Person got the product for free for review. It's front and center on on those reviews. So I saw something pop up that I actually wanted. So I clicked the little button. This was Monday, maybe. Yeah. Got the product yesterday. I was really excited, David. It's a Serta Cool Caressed Comfort Memory Foam Pillow in queen size. Doesn't that sound nice? Serta, how are you spelling that? S-E-R-T-A. Cool Caress Comfort Memory Foam Pillow. If you want to see it, I can actually send you a link. It's all right. I found it. Yeah. Okay. So... You know, it's it, for those in the United States. We know what this is. It's the little sheep guy. We know we know what Serta is here. 
So I get right. the pillow, and hey, all's good in the world. And the pillow, I used it last night for the first time, and it was great. Really liked it so far. Got to sleep on yeah. it for at least a week or two before you really know. Mm-hmm. Got to have that break-in pillow with a or break-in time with a pillow. But when I walked in the house last night, here's a cardboard box that's three feet by one foot by probably eight inches. This giant cardboard box. Right. And the, my first thought is, what the hell is this? It's huge. Yeah. So I uh-huh. open the box, and there's another box inside, another cardboard box. Yep. I open that box, and then there's the pillow. This is... What the Look, hell? The- <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well... So the problem is, is that Amazon employs people at minimum wage, uh, probably working effectively at less than minimum wage because of the way Amazon makes them work in the warehouses. They don't, they, they get, they get ridiculously small amount of time for breaks. They, um, they get, they get searched as they en- enter and leave the premises and get changed and all of that sort of thing. And that is, that is classes, that is classes, um, non-work time even though they're there effectively under the subjects and employers. These people are paid peanuts, yeah? And all they want to do is get through whatever Amazon tells them to do. So Amazon says, pick up something, put it in a box, get it on the, get it on the conveyor belt, yeah? They're not going to go out of their way to, put, to package it properly, properly if, they, if they haven't got the right materials on, at hand. I've bought memory cards from Amazon that have come in a box that was literally a foot square, and you it's open the such, album, it's full of bits of paper, and right at the bottom, yeah. there's a little flat piece of cardboard with a memory card in it. Yeah, it's such a waste. And you look at that, and you just think, yeah, this is just such a waste, such a waste of uh, of resources. But you know what? Amazon doesn't care. All they care about is the fact that you received your product, and it was well protected. Yeah, and I appreciate that aspect of it. What I don't appreciate is the abject waste of materials. Yeah. To send me something that it was already in a cardboard box. Now, I don't want the pillow to show up just in a plastic wrapper on my front porch. I do want it in a cardboard box protected. I don't need it in a large cardboard box and a much larger cardboard box with a whole bunch of paper stuffed in there so it doesn't rattle around. Stupid. Yeah, yeah but I, this is unfortunately the policies they set and and the way they make their staff work are not tilted towards doing things that are environmentally efficient. They are tilted towards get that thing on the conveyor belt and out of the warehouse as quickly as possible and do what you have to do to make it happen. And if that means ridiculous levels of packaging, then so be it. Speaking Um, of uh, environmentally friendly companies, OWC is our sponsor once again this week. And David saw the big wind turbine there. They generate 100% of their own power. And they actually sell power back to the grid. They make things easy. <laughs> when I get uh, not, products from them, a, it's it's done properly. It and really not only is. that, when we saw the warehouse, they they were very proud of the fact they worked very hard to optimize their packaging. Yeah, they figured out how to do a packaging without plastics. Yep. So that it's all fully recyclable, and that's their objective: is to get everything they sell to be in fully recyclable packaging. And they use um, recyclable packaging themselves. Yeah, exactly. And and they, they say, we they were quite upfront about it to us. They say, we have to pay more for this. It's probably three or four times the cost of regular plastic packaging, yep. but we think it's worthwhile for the environment. Amazing. You know? Yeah. To, to, uh, abs- to see absolutely. what I get, a, and, I get a pillow shipped to me, the abject waste compared to what we saw last July in Illinois. is It's night and day. Yeah. yeah. 
So we yeah. want to th- now, now, to be fair, OWC is not doing the sort of volume that Amazon is trying to do. But um, the, the problem is, it, if it's a question that Amazon will never ask its customers. Would you be prepared to wait slightly longer for your for your packages um, if if we could ensure that they were optimally packed and environmentally friendly shipped? They, they'll never ask the customers that. They'll play lip service to it. Well, but the difference is, I think it's not that the volume is so much larger at a company like Amazon. There's few companies that ship anything close to how much Amazon ships. Nobody, actually. No one even comes close. Maybe Alibaba. Mm -hmm. But it's a philosophy that OWC has to to give back to the environment, to protect it. Uh, rather than let's make every single dime we possibly can with slave labor. Yeah, and and I think, you know, they are comparable. Both You could argue that both the stuff that Amazon sells and the stuff that OWC sells, in in the grand scheme of things, are not terribly sustainable products. Computers are not really sustainable. No. We we buy, yeah, and computer... Uh, add-ons and everything like that as well they're not sustainable they're they're expensive to create they're expensive to assemble they've got a lot of really weird uh, really weird odd elements in them put up in a way that makes them hard to recycle and then we use them for a few years and then we have to throw them out and go and buy something else they're not really sustainable products but if you can do something to minimize your impact on the environment uh, as part of that business then that's something you should do amazon is the same amazon is selling basically doodads to the western world yeah that a lot of us could live without yeah you know it's it's a it's a decadent western lifestyle if you want if you want to call it that yeah so the impact on the planet of that is far in um in excess of what those products are intrinsically worth yeah i bought i bought um rhythmic gymnastics ribbons for my daughter yeah i paid uh what less than a dollar for six of them and they were shipped from china took a month to get here but you know what they arrived they were well packaged and all of that sort of thing but also and i bought those through amazon but ultimately that was not a great transaction for the planet no <laughs> you know jet fuel other man's recognize that we're all guilty of that in the west yes you know but at least you can try and do something about it um this is another area where amazon uh, just I presume they have the stats. They must know what boxes their stuff gets shipped in, but they just do nothing about it until it starts costing them money. So I do want to talk about, well, and the other aspect of that is now I have to dispose of these two great big boxes. Yep. And now we have recycling here. So we got to tear this box apart into much smaller pieces and recycle it. Thank you. Sometimes you just have one of those days. Yeah, well... For those just uh, wondering what the heck happened right there, is we had the issue with my machine again, and then the sound came back, and I don't know, something weird is going on. I'm not sure what it is. Very frustrating. Yep. Um, well, we're we still here. On. Yep, we're still here. Um, I don't even know what we were talking about at this point. Oh, we were just about, you were just saying that the wiki trolling is something a bit different this week. Yeah, the, so we're going to do a little bit different topic. This one actually came up randomly for me, and I said, you know what, that's a good one. But before we get to that, you had an issue with Chromebooks. I did. So it was my, it was my daughter's birthday last week, and she was recently diagnosed with some moderate dyslexia. Um, not tiredness related like yours. Um, and so uh, as we've been 
doing some work with her to try and help and we've made some some changes for her at school and we've got her an additional tutor to give her a little bit of support but you know she's just turned nine um it was her birthday last week and i said to my wife i said you know what bearing in mind that once you get out of school you don't have to write anymore i said she really needs to start typing now so let's give her a laptop so i looked at a couple of machines i had lying around and i toyed it i i toyed with different things i had a a 12 inch powerbook g4 that i thought might be quite good but then i thought no she's not going to be able to do everything she wants to do on that didn't really want to buy a new laptop for her but then i, then I came across an old chromebook i had lying around the house i thought this is perfect you know it has uh it can you, there's plenty of stuff in the chrome app store for for kids to do the sort of thing she likes doing drawing and that sort of stuff she can use google docs on it there are some spelling programs and uh, coding programs and stuff like that for chromebooks i thought this will be perfect and it's it's a small kind of light machine for you know suitable for a nine-year-old so i set it all up and then i thought okay well you know how how is this managed so i looked and it turns out that google has a um has a, a effectively a supervised user system on the chromebook so i go setting up and it doesn't work it just comes up with some weird error saying we can't we can't set this user up at this time so i tried it again thought maybe i've done something wrong still didn't work turns out that google deprecated that feature um at the beginning of this year uh which is fine except the they say the replacement for it will come later on this year so they took something away with no replacement Exactly. You know, and so not not something that's kind of, oh, well, that's a pain in the neck. Something that's actually fairly fundamentally important to people using their platform. You know, to, obviously, yeah, they, this, this, this age limit they have is these supervised accounts work for kids up to 13. Yeah, and it's not really anything particularly special. They weren't doing the kind of MDM VPN type thing that I talked about on the show last week that I do on Alexander's iPad. No, this was basically just kind of a limited user account that allowed you to apply a little bit of parental control, maybe block the odd website, prevent the odd application from running. The sort of thing that most computers do straight out of the box. Google for, for when and when when Google's been asked why they've taken this feature away, because you, you kind of think, well okay, you can replace it. Leave the feature there and then when you replace it, replace it with something else. But instead what they've done is they've taken the feature away it's still available in the menus because I tried to use it and it doesn't right. work. Yeah, so it's so, even more frustrating. So is this a condemnation of an online operating system as opposed to a Mac or Windows that you don't have to be connected to the to the Internet for it to work? And if it's already in the system, then it's there. It's going to work. Whereas Google uh, can retroactively take some feature that you bought the laptop specifically for. They just take it away and you have no recourse it's just well to be honest you. with you everybody does that now apple Only does that with their os releases windows certainly does that with their os releases Only nowadays if you update the computer if you update the computer you didn't yeah. update your computer it's just retroactively gone yeah exactly but you know you can turn updates off on a chromebook if you if you want to but of course then you're sending all the updates off including security fixes and what have you and it's the same for any other computer well, I, I would. I, I see where you're going with this. Chromebooks they kind of upgrade themselves in the background more, uh, less more tr uh, less transparently than maybe a Windows or, or Mac does. You well, kind of always know when you're getting updates really on, a, on a Mac. Yeah, Windows not so much nowadays. I, I guess Windows also in in the background is just generally updating itself all the time. But um, yeah, 
um, I, I, the problem is, is Google is a is a company run by engineers, and no doubt they've got some cool engineering reason why they've done this. But it, it kind of, yeah, it really just kind of disappointed me because I thought, um, you know, Chromebooks are heavily marketed towards kids and to schools, and yet they've taken a, a pretty useful feature for using it for kids, and they've just kind of thrown it under the bus, and then there's no guarantee what will happen or when it will happen, which mm-hmm. is typical Google, of course, in terms of replacement. It's despicable. I, I, I was really disappointed, really, really disappointed. So, you know, look, I set her up an account anyway, um, and I had to lie about her age to get the account set up because it won't let you create an account for a kid under 13. It won't let you create, create a regular Google account for a kid under 13. Yeah, and the one then, – then it said, well, you can use this family link feature – uh, install an app on your on your iPhone, your Android device, and then you can create an account that way. Except that only works for Android phones in the US. <laughs> yep. So all in all, it's pretty poor. And um, you know what? I'm I'm a big fan of the Chromebooks, and Charlotte, she loves it. She absolutely loves the machine, and it's perfect for her because it is super simple. You know, she turns it on, she types in her password, she can see all her stuff. When she turns it off. Everything is there and it's saved. You know, it's perfect for her. But, you know, to not have uh, simple parental controls in, in an operating system in 2018 is shocking to me. I would agree. Yeah. So our wiki trolling feature, This is, I think this is a good one, David. Yeah, And, and it kind of ties into the Apple ecosystem a little bit farther down. So our... Um, I, I, I got I full transparency. I'm a huge fan. So our uh, topic is U2. U2 are an, Ar- an Irish rock band from Dublin, formed in 1976. I didn't realize it was 76 that they first got together. That's a long time ago. Yeah, I re- I remember first hearing about them in the early 80s. So I knew they were old. I didn't know they were quite that old. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought when they got together, when I first started hearing about them, was probably 83 or so. Yeah, with them, um, but but actually their first album came out in 1980. So yeah. they formed in '76, but it was a few years before they kind of got a deal. They came to prominence here in the U.S. really big in '85 with Live Aid. I remember when they had their performance in Live Aid; it was amazing. I mean, yeah, I knew who they were already, but I was like, wow, that's this is that band that does that Sunday Bloody Sunday, which was a uh, a political hot topic at the time. Yes, still is. Still is. Still is over here. Yeah, I remember Pride when that came out. That was a big song. But yeah. they still weren't that big of a band. They were just another one of those kind of an alternative type of bands, college yeah. band. Uh, you didn't hear them on the radio too much. Maybe a couple songs here and there, but they weren't a big deal. Uh, then they play at Live Aid and kind of really hit a big name for themselves at, at that concert. And that really drove the sales for the War album. And yeah. then in 87, one of the greatest rock bands of all time at this point released their fifth studio album. And it was, I think, arguably one of the greatest albums of all time. I agree. The, completely. The Joshua when I Tree. first, yeah, when I first heard the Joshua Tree, I was just blown mm-hmm. away. Yep. I remember buying that album. Uh, no, th- to me, they were always that band that did, you know, that 
Sunday Bloody Sunday, which I really dug. I love the message. I love the fact that they were kind of in your face about something like this. Like, yeah, this is this is awesome. This is what we this is what the world needs is songs like this. So I thought we were going to get more of that with the Joshua Tree, and you kind of did, but not really. But it was it was eye opening. It, it, it sounded unlike anything else. And it was, well, they, it was they kind of took they took their sensibilities, but they then they went to the states and they kind of toured the states and they got into you know kind of uh, blues and country and yep. and that sort of thing and they kind of built that into their rock style uh, and it was amazing it was an amazing combination um, and you know what I liked an awful lot of the stuff they've done since but I still think that you know some of the songs on the Joshua Tree they have never topped. I would agree, um, but I, I, I would also, and I just bought the digital copy of the anniversary of the Joshua Tree remastered, and it's it's like three CDs worth of music. I mean, it's amazing, um, and it's and it holds up so well, it really does. But yeah. looking at some of the new, I will say this: U two is one of the rare bands that when they release a new album, I immediately download it. I buy it immediately. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need to download it. Sometimes it downloads itself. So in 2014, of course, they yeah. release an album, and they release it, uh, the, the, the 13th album, Songs of the Innocent, 2014. They release it at no cost through iTunes. No cost. Now, it was no cost for only a short period of time. It Eventually, you had to buy it. But it automatically, and this was stupid on Apple's part, um, they automatically pushed it out to every iPhone user. Yeah. And to this day, as you know, I sell cars. So one yeah. of the things that I do is set people's phones up in their car and stuff like that after they bought mm-hmm. it. And I will show them how USB or uh, Bluetooth audio works. Some of my customers, it's a brand new thing for them. They've had this phone for three, four or five years, but they've never connected to their car before. And I show them how it works. And guess what albums on almost all these phones all the time? Still there. They had, these people had no idea that this phone, the, the, this music was even on their phone. It's yeah. 2018. You, you it's know, four years later. You know, for, yeah, you know, for a long time, um, whenever I connected my, uh, this is something that, that's weird about the iPhone. Whenever I connect my iPhone to the Bluetooth in my car automatically, yeah, it starts awesome playing whatever's actually downloaded to the phone. Yeah, and obviously I don't have much music downloads to my phone because most of us stream music nowadays but for a long time the first thing that always played was the beginning track on the album because it was it was always on the phone there i i I do want to say that their newest album that just came out a couple months ago is really good yeah um there's one song called the blackout and it's really talking about the what brexit and the uh, election of donald trump um yeah it's very much a political song and it's fan- yeah. it's a good song on the album but i first heard it a live recording of it and i actually captured that audio because this was a couple months before the song came out or the album came out and the live version is better than the one that's on the cd or the the album i, I really like that song uh but yeah. the new album is good i every one of their albums if i was going to make a best of youtube playlist and i've got one that's like a quarter of the way through i just 
and I messed up doing it at night and I got tired of doing it and stopped. Um, plus I lost all my rankings and everything in my iTunes library at one time a couple years ago mm-hmm. and I just never went back in and ranked my music again. Um, although a lot of Brooks music is ranked now, so imagine that. Um, I bet I could pull at least two to three songs on every single one of their albums that would fit on the best of. Yeah. But that's one of the things about you two is that they've always continued to experiment. They've never, you know, that every album is different from the album before. They never just stick. There are the bands who get roundly criticized for saying all their songs sound the same. Um, Coldplay, for example, is a very modern example of a band who frequently get criticized for saying their music is, 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 doesn't change very much between albums. U2 is nothing like that. Every single album, they have a different concept and a different approach. And then they tour it a completely different way as well. So if you've ever been to more than one U2 concerts, you'll find the way it's presented and the way, the, the kind of things they do and everything are always completely different. You know, the, uh, I, I got it. Trying to figure out which one of their later albums I really like. There's so many of them. How to Dismantle Atomic Bomb was fantastic. Yeah. Um, the live recording of City of Blinding Lights is an amazing song. I mean, this is a band that's been doing it for a very long time with the original lineup. That's the thing, David. It's the yeah. original lineup. Yeah, these guys. You know, these guys are not the sort who you know, kind of get bent out and go off and do their own thing and all of that you know they just you know to be to be fair i mean they've they've got a lot of output and they tour an awful lot but they they clearly have a um they clearly have a way of working that means that they don't get sick of each other which is you know in modern music modern musical bands here um it's uh it it, it, it's quite unusual really Hmm. i can't think of too many bands that have the the original at least, look, some some bands, you have members pass away. Like, one the first one that pops from my mind is Cliff Burton of Metallica. Yeah. You can't have the original lineup when one of them has passed. And yeah, I'll give them a pause for that. Yeah, but, man, they, they're still doing it. And here's the thing. They're not just still doing it. They're still at the top of their game. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen U2 live. It's one of my big regrets because I've never seen them in live. I never saw Prince live either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of late to see Prince live. Yep. But I would love to go see you two. The problem is concert tickets are like $200. I know. I'm yeah. not spending $200 to go see. I, I love the band. Don't get me wrong. I love their music. I'm not spending, if Julie and I go, that's $400. There's no, no. The answer is no. Yeah, you $400 for one evening no. evening's entertainment is, is not good value, however you like, you no. place it. And she wouldn't enjoy it as much as me anyway. She's not that big no. of a U2 fan. She's more of a – she likes country music, and I don't. So, yeah. you know, she's got to see her big one, like is Garth Brooks. And I've seen most of the big bands that I wanted to, but U2 is one that I haven't. I don't want to go see Garth Brooks. She probably doesn't care about going to see U2, so I would probably take Brooke with me. Cause she's I actually think you should huge. compromise and go and see Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, together. That's not too bad. Um, her music is actually not too bad, but you yeah. two is our uh, our wiki trolling. It's a long. This might be the longest entry on YouTube for any of our wiki trolling. Some of them yeah. are like four paragraphs with yeah. like one link. Uh, yeah, this this well, you know, they've had a long career and they've done a lot of different things, and 
you know, and there's a lot of spin-offs from these as well, because you read reading about each of the individual members of UT is also quite fascinating. But obviously the the link to the Apple stuff is that um Bono and and is behind um the Red Movement, which is about having um you know, selling stuff and contributing some of the cost, some of the the value of that stuff to uh, charity, uh, and obviously Apple is very much behind that. And um, Bono, Bono and Steve Jobs were friends, yeah. Uh, friends. And uh, you know, by all accounts, Tim Cook and Bono are still friends. And um, you know, of course, they they originally did the U two iPod as well, which was yeah. I remember a had special that red edition thing, iPod, that red spinner in the middle, yeah. Yeah, it was a cool-looking iPod. Uh, it was. I Actually, the only thing I've ever put on any of my devices was a sticker I put on my fifth-generation iPod that was a U2 sticker. Right. 42 years. That's wow. A, that's a long time. to stay. Yeah. Not only to, to stay together as a band, not only to kind of stay somewhat consistent with your music, but to make really good music. For that yeah. long to stay that popular, I mean, it, it's it's unheard of. I, I don't, I can't think of another band that's. You well, can, oh, the Rolling Stones. No, they don't yeah, have. Yeah, but fans the, the like Rolling Stones do. haven't done anything new for many, many years. Well, even if they did, they're not huge with the young generation like you two. Yeah, is. yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure how how popular. I don't think they're as popular as they used to be, but they're still a big band. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. I think some bands are probably more popular now. Uh, Foo Fighters probably would be a bigger draw for a lot of people. I love Foo Fighters too, by the way. Me too. Um, but it, it, it's an impressive band, regardless. Uh, I love their music. I like the fact that they take chances. Uh, they change things up when they want to, uh, and the consequences be damned. Uh, I you got to respect a band that does that, or anybody who does something creative. And uh, speaking of creative, this is going to be a good creative time to wrap up this uh, episode. So we will uh, be back in a week. You going to be here, David? Um, I think so. Yeah, I, think I so. hope so. I hope so too. Yeah. And like I said, we'll get uh, Eric Diaz on to talk about what's going on in Puerto Rico here real soon. Uh, I think it'd be an exceptionally fun episode to listen to and very educational. See you next very week, good. David. See you then.